From in the beginning to the musical apocalypse, this is The Bible Says What. I'm your host, Mike Wiseman. According to the World Wide Web, there are five love languages and they are expressed thusly. Words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. One by one, the Christian deity fails each and every one. Words of affirmation, Daniel 4.35, all the peoples of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. Not a very encouraging thing to hear from your father, that you're regarded as nothing. Quality time. We are only allowed to hang out with Yahweh if he kills his son, if the blood of the innocent is spilled. Sounds like a nice guy. And then the quality time is diluted to just a feeling. He never actually physically shows up to console or save. The best he can do is send you his ghost or some feelings. Gifts. Most Christians will tell you that the greatest gift was the gift of eternal life that was only made possible by the death of Jesus. God required the death of his kid to give you a gift. Acts of service. The Christian deity wants you to believe that the death of his hybrid clone was somehow an act of service for all mankind. Yahweh needs to kill his kid in order to forgive people and now expects you to praise and worship him for it. Last but not least, physical touch. God has never touched anyone. He's an invisible mute being that supposedly lives on another plane of existence that we are not able to interact with. The only thing we get is a ghost of the real thing. The ultimate example of a loving father refuses to show up and hug his kids. Let's start the show. Is there anything in the Bible that you yourself have an issue with? <laughs> Okay, so it took you reading the Bible to realize that those things were bad for you? Yeah, it actually did. I, I didn't figure this out on your own? No, Ted, Ted Bundy could be redeemed. God doesn't kill children. What do you think the Passover was? Yahweh sets up a whole system in the Old Testament where you slaughter animals just so he's able to forgive you. Today's special guest is author, creator of the Roll of Love Dice and love linguist, Paul Zolman. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure to be with you this evening. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time. Tell us a little bit about your dice. Well, what I, what I did was I grew up in an angry home and mm -hmm. I had to figure out a way to get rid of that residual anger that I had as an adult. So about 15 years ago, you know, the, the anger actually was part of the, uh, the reason for the demise of my first marriage. After mm -hmm. 23 and a half years and eight children, I found myself single. And so, so I uh, started doing what I call destination dating, Michael. Mm -hmm. Well, I did, I did dates in, in places actually like Las Vegas and and new york city and and um jacksonville florida daytona beach atlanta georgia nashville kansas city salt lake city cabo san lucas i went to this all these diff different destinations for dates yeah. so what would happen is i'd go find somebody online and find find a way to date well i i thought i found someone in phoenix it didn't work out. So I ended up moving to Phoenix and not working out. And there I am. And I I'm number 10 of 11 children. 
I have an older sister and a younger sister and all the rest are boys. So, mm. so you, as number 10 of 11, I was the remote control back in the day. They'd tell me what channel to change it to. I'd walk up to the TV, turn the dial. And yeah. that's, you know, that I, was, I was the remote control. So kind of the big brother, big sisters told me what to do. Mm. So big sister calls me while I'm in Phoenix. And she says, I have a neighbor that I want to introduce to you. And she thought I was lonely. My sister thought I was lonely. And she thought this neighbor might help in that way. I said, I had just been off a year and a half doing this destination dating, spent more than $10,000 traveling on all these dates. Oh. I, don't want to, I don't want to travel seven hours to yeah. where you're at to do this destination dating. And as big sisters would say, oh, come on. And you got to do what big sister says. So just because of my position in the family, I had to do what Big Sister said. So I lightly said, well, okay, I'll, I'll email her. Mm. What kind of relationship can you have, Michael? Email. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So it was just really yeah. half-hearted, but it actually turned out really fun. I was, it was just, she was a great writer and I've just write back and forth. And so I got brave enough one day. I said, well, how many times have you been married? I wrote this all to her. And she writes back, she said, counting the five that are buried in the backyard. Oh, <laughs> and, and, and that struck me so funny that she would say something like that. It was just just uh, that sense of humor that just yeah. just spry, spry sense of humor. I said, I have a live wire here. I think I'm going to pursue this a little further. So I started coming up to St. George to visit with my my sister and this neighbor. Hmm. I'd come up on the weekends, leave at uh, five o'clock on Friday from Phoenix, arrive at midnight, and then Sunday I'd leave at five o'clock, arrive at midnight, back to wow. Phoenix. We did that for several weeks, and then finally I decided, you know, this is getting serious enough. I want to move up there, so I moved up, and and then we started getting more serious. Now it's time to take this neighbor of my sister for Big Brother approval. Hmm. Three three hundred miles north, we go there. My sister in law pulls her aside when first thing we walk in the door. And she says to her point blank, she says, the only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up was anger. At first I denied it, said, uh-uh, then it made me mad. <laughs> I've been busted. Yeah. And I realized at that time that I have an opportunity to change that generational thing that's been passed on. Mm. We learn everything we learn, Michael, from our parents. You know, and then sometimes hopefully we'll get some education, maybe learn something a little bit different. Yeah. So I, I had that opportunity at that time to actually pursue the education, go read some books, go find some way to learn something different. So hmm. I started reading the color code and then I started reading the five love languages. And I really liked what the five love languages said, because what Dr. Chapman was a reverend or a pastor and he said that they all reconciled to the life of Jesus Christ. So that's mm. what I did. So I, I actually uh, uh, thought that's a great idea, but I didn't. From where I came from, the abusive and, and dysfunctional family that I came from, I didn't get what Dr. Chapman would say how to apply this. He mm. would say something like, well, if I guess what Michael's love language is, and I cater to that, then we're going to be buddies. I'm a bad guesser. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and, and it wasn't happening for me. It just yeah. absolutely wasn't happening. So that didn't work for me. 
well, Dr. Chapman has, well, plan B, I guess, or just another way. He has, well, if you take this survey, then I can find out what my love language is. Hmm. What the heck am I supposed to do with that? Advertise? Hmm. Oh, Michael, I'm gifts. What do you have for me today? That's awkward. You know, and, and it, when somebody gets mad in public, that's awkward too. Hmm. That's awkward. I've done all that and I've been been in those situations. I didn't want any more awkward. So I thought, you know, one thing that helped our family, even as dysfunctional as we were, one thing that helped us, Michael, was hmm. that we would play games as a family. Hmm. Playing games as a family was something that brought us together. There was still all the smack talk. There were still all the put downs, but we were together and it was kind yeah. of a cohesive unit. So I thought, well, maybe I can make this a game. Hmm. I thought, well, I have to contact Dr. Chapman about that. And I, I sent him a, an email and asked him, are you licensing those little icons that you have for, for the love languages? And his attorney wrote back and said, no, we're not doing that right now. I was really relieved because they're really ugly. They're 30 years old. They're very dated. I didn't want them anyway. So I had still had this idea. Well, I'll contact my attorney, my copyright attorney here in town. He was mm -hmm. a friend. And I just went and talked to him and said, said, this is my idea. He said that theory, like the love language theory, is not copyrightable. Mm -hmm. Application is. Mm -hmm. So they making it a game. So what I did is I created my own icons and I put it on a cube and made it a game. So this is what I have. It's right here. Yeah. So yeah. There, there you see a, a hand holding a gift. That's the symbol for gift. Two hands touching one another. That's a symbol for touch. Mm. Two hands put together to make a heart and then a little conversation flout. That's for the words. Hmm. I've got an hourglass, a hand holding an hourglass. That's for time. Yeah. And then the last one is a, a hand holding a, a platter. That's huh. for service. So five love languages, six sides on the cube. The last side, I, I named it myself, surprised me. So it has a hand with a question mark on it. So there's just two instructions, Michael. You roll the yeah. die every day. That's the love language you practice giving away all uh -huh. day that day. To everyone. Mm. Remember, I'm single at the time when I create this. And so Dr. Chapman suggests that you give love to your significant other person. I didn't have one. Yeah. I thought, well, who am I going to love? I thought, well, I can just love everybody, everybody <laughs> around me and, and make it work that way. And yeah. work that way just because that's all I had. That was mm. the only option that I have. So by doing that, what I found over a 30-day period is that that I learned all the five love languages forward, backwards and forwards. Even after reading the five love language book four or five times, Michael, if someone offered me a million dollars to name all the five love languages, I wouldn't get it. Hmm. I went through the book, but the book didn't go through me. Hmm. It, I didn't retain a lot of what, what, what I was reading because I didn't really have a way to practice it. All I saw was the survey and what my primary love language is. And I thought felt like it was all about me. Hmm. This isn't like that at all. This is all about them. So you're giving that the love away, watching for people that light up. When they light up, you've identified what maybe their primary or their secondary hmm. love languages are. Yeah. You make, make a mental note and then wash, rinse, repeat. Do it over and over again. Then you'll be buddies. 
no longer do you have to stop the relationship, say, mm, excuse me, could you take this survey so I know how to love you? <laughs> well done with awkward. Don't want to be doing that awkward. I could yeah. use the help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So that's how that's how the die got created. It was hmm. that's that's the the condensed version. There's a longer yeah. yeah. We're just doing short right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure it's all in your book. You've oh, got all is. that in there. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. What's the title of your book again? It's called The Role of Love. R-O-L-E. Yeah. R-O-L-E Love. And it's really, you know, I love Las Vegas. And and it's like there's dice in Las Vegas. This this is you roll, roll a die <laughs> of you. But the change in, that happens inside is R-O-L-E. It's your new role as a person that sends out love all the time. So the play on words, that's how it came up with the title. Gotcha. Thank you for that. That that's that's quite a story. So the dice themselves, you designed all the little guys on the 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 insignias and whatnot. And as far as the that's pretty cool. As far as the game itself goes, not or the dice, it's just a one person thing between you and yourself, and you roll it and then you uh practice it. Practice it, thank you. And then you've got like a little yeah. journal thing or something that comes with it too, right? Or, or something that absolutely. So there's yeah. there's a journal that you can record what what you rolled, opportunities <laughs> you saw to love in that way, and then what you did about those opportunities. So that's pretty fun. As as I've journaled in my life, and maybe you too, Michael, maybe some of your audience, hmm. as I see a blank page, my mind goes blank. What the heck hmm. did I do? And it's hard to write something like that. So I think that this is really going to be more it's it kind of leads you a little bit so that you can write about the love stories that you what what opportunities do you have to love today and what did you do about those opportunities becomes a love legacy journal something that you'll Mm -hmm. be able to pass on for generations uh that maybe you're not even born yet interesting concept i love it thank you man um as far as two players a two-player thing can you do like with a partner and and you guys work things out together does that help strengthen bonds and how's that work yeah absolutely so so as a couple you could roll it and be on the same page giving that same type of love out all day that day um i've had couples do it that way i've had couples do it separately my mm-hmm. wife doesn't roll the die so what what i do is that i roll the die i practice it and then she tries to guess what I'm practicing that day. So it just kind of makes it a a fun game that way. But it also works in a classroom situation, Michael. And I've been taking this into the schools, starting to get into the schools just a little bit. And at at the school level, the roll roll the die as a class. So several people in the classroom, all the, it takes two seconds to roll the die. The teacher then takes maybe 30 or 45 seconds to explain class, this is the type of behavior we're watching for today. At the end of the day, now the children, the last 10 to 15 minutes, Michael, of that of any school day is really non-productive time. The kids are antsy. They've been there all day. Their minds are mush by that time because they're trying to learn all these new concepts. It's non-productive time. And mm. I've talked with teachers all around the world, and they absolutely agree with that. So what we're trying to do is make it productive time. This is the time that they decompress right in the journal. Just mm. take that, take those minutes to decompress. Be, just relax at the end of the day so it's, you're not so uptight. Write how you love that day. It does a couple of things. Number one, it's going to make that child 
absolutely responsible for their actions all throughout the day. Hmm. Michael, it was I was 35 years old and still blaming my father for hmm. for social awkwardness, for awkwardness in the family, for hmm. all these things that were happening and that residual anger that I had, I was still blaming him. He was dead seven years by that time. He'd already passed away seven years earlier, and I was still blaming him. So I finally realized that, oh, I'm responsible. And it started taking responsibility for my own life. It was a little too little too late because that, that ended you know, the first marriage. But hmm. this time, with the kids at the school level, I'm talking K through six, now in first grade, now in second grade, in third and fourth and fifth grade, they can realize that they're responsible for their own actions and the kind actions that they do. Hmm. We have an incentive program here in town. Um, a franchisee of Yogurtland actually has donated coupons that if they'll write the journal page for 15 days of a month, they'll get five ounces of yogurt for free. Wow. If they'll do it for 25 days, it takes the sweet spot for a habit, Michael's between 21 to 28 days, different opinions out there, but that's the sweet spot. If they'll do it for 25 days, make it a habit of watching for opportunities to love all day long. They'll get the 10 ounces of yogurt for free. So we're wow. trying to get corporate cooperation here to tamp down a lot of the misbehavior that's going on in school. A lot of the temperament or the tempers and the rage that's going on in the school system Try to teach these children that loving is a whole lot more productive. That when there's less violence in the classroom, less mm. disciplinary problems in the classroom, there's going to be more learning because it takes a lot of the teacher's time to do discipline a child. It's a disruptive and it just takes a lot of time away from learning. Mm. We're going to tamp that down and just kind of hopefully extinguish that for the most part in a lot of schools. That's the plan. Awesome. So love is better than anger. We're, we're love over anger, essentially. Gotcha. Yeah, and absolutely. Absolutely. For the most part, there are times when you actually, if you're angry about yourself and you want to move to the next level, you've got to have a little bit of anger or a little bit of motivation in that way. And that's appropriate anger about yourself to get you to that next level. And I think mm -hmm. that's appropriate. But what I'm talking about is anger toward other people. That's not your yeah. call. If they're choosing to be angry, they're choosing to be offended. Don't you be offended with them. That's just ridiculousness. Why yeah. would you choose to be angry? You can't even make any choices for that person. They're yeah. making their own choices. That's not your lane. Yeah. Stay in your lane and choose to send out love and then watch so that you can respond when it comes your way. Choose to send out love. Yeah. Great. I love it. Absolutely. Choose to send out love. Good message, man. Good message. So, I mean, thank you for that. First off, where does the religion part fit in? This is the fun part of the conversation. So where does God fit into all of this? You you had mentioned that you, you kind of chiseled it off of Jesus. Can you explain that a little further? Sure. So in the life of Jesus Christ, in the, as the Bible says, the, Jesus spent time with people. As he's spending time with people, he's teaching them. Gotcha. You know, he fed the 5,000, and he taught them everywhere he was going. He was teaching either by example or just by speaking, whatever whatever he was saying. In the, in the life of Jesus Christ, we know that he served people. He just would mm. do things for people that they couldn't do for themselves, helping them out. 
The words are the scriptures. Obviously, we have the words of Jesus. We love those words. Hmm. He in the, there are several incidents where he touched people's eyes or their ears, eyes so that they could see, ears so that they could hear. And we we also know that after he was resurrected, he had he said to Mary, "Touch me not." Possibly, Michael, she was coming in for that hug that would been would have been appropriate during his ministry. Hmm. So we can almost can infer that. He had to say, touch me not to her because she was coming in for it. And because he hadn't ascended to the Father yet. Um, he had the gifts of the Spirit, and he just freely gave those gifts of Spirit out. And hmm. we, we covered them all. Yep. So, thank you. So it, it's as far as the Jesus um, goes, the relationship part of it here. Do you, do you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? I would like to think that I do, and I, I would like to think that by doing these, I, I look at these, Michael, as building blocks. These are building blocks of love. And, and just as I mentioned that my my problem and my father's problem, my brother's problem, was that we'd be annoyed. We'd be annoyed. We'd be stacking these annoyances on top of one another until we flashed. Yeah. In the same similar manner, I think that the, these simple steps— the love languages, the five love languages, you can stack it, stack kindness on kindness on kindness, and it makes a stair step to higher laws of love. I'm going to call the higher laws of love compassion or mm. charity or mercy or forgiveness or intimacy or sympathy mm. or empathy. Any of those would describe a higher law of love, and it comes by just doing those acts of kindness on a regular basis, stacking, stacking, stacking until mm -hmm. you arrive. And I think that we really, as a society, have backed away from just those basics. And that's why I'm here, to teach about these five love languages, how to apply it in our life. And this is a way, this is a tool to insert that into our life. It does become more like Jesus, but it's just going to make us a better person. Regardless of the religion side of it, it's just going to make us a better person. Mm -hmm person i i believe that that um love over anger definitely make us a better person 100 percent. but i'm I'm still confused on the jesus part here um as, as far as jesus is god god is jesus right as far as the old testament the new testament everything that jesus does is the same thing that god does and everything that god does is the same thing that jesus does well, right i i i think they're two separate people but uh, you know that and and huh. so yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, explain that. That's, this is good. Go ahead. So if you go to Acts, mm -hmm. Acts uh, in, in, in Acts, Stephen is stoned. Uh -huh. so, so in chapter 8, I believe it is, he's, he's being stoned. And uh -huh. as he's being stoned to death, uh -huh. he looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus on the right hand of God. How, okay. could, how could the same person be on the, on the right hand of that same person? So, so we infer though that there are two people. So that's one one incident. There are several incidents like that yeah. in in the Bible where they actually are two people, two different people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus even says, "Nobody is good except for the Father." Not even me. Uh, that's pretty self-explanatory that there's two separate people there. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. Well, that was easy. I don't usually get uh, too many people agreeing with that one right off the bat. There. <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome. So as far as two separate people, um, that goes right back to God, though. Did God create Jesus for this reason? Did God create Jesus just to sacrifice him? Yeah. Of the love? Well, we know that uh, the scriptures say that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, only begotten in the flesh. So Mm. we know that the Immaculate Conception with Mary and 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 God and and we understand that he is he is the son of God so there isn't any other incident in the scriptures or in the in the history of the world any recording of any other immaculate conception of its kind none so so We've, Jesus well there are, are a bunch of other gods that have been immaculately concepted or, or born out of sides or or all kinds of crazy things there, there are a lot of stories about well, um gods maybe, being born maybe a mythology, but I'm, I'm not familiar with a, a lot of those that you're talking about right now gotcha yeah no it's very similar to the same thing um i, I would even go as far as to call the jesus stuff uh mythology as well i mean born of a virgin and, and then as far as the virgin word itself is a mistranslation so, I mean, as far as that goes, I would call that myth um, because we, we don't have people that are born out of such circumstances. Well, uh, that we know of. And yeah. so, so if we think we know everything, we, we're definitely in that proud stage and we're going to fall. Pride comes right before the fall. So so I don't Pride think I, comes before the fall. I'm going to go there, Michael, that yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I don't think I know everything. I know I yeah. don't know. And it's interesting that um, that you know I, I like the attitude to live the attitude that Jesus kind of kind of brought forth at the Last Supper. And okay. He says that one of you is going to betray me, and it wasn't just Judas, but it was every single apostle, every single disciple that was there in that Last Supper room said, "Lord, is it I?" They mm. had that humble attitude, and as you live your life and and think. When you come up against a problem in a relationship, you come up a problem against in your business, you come up a problem in any relationship at all. And you if you take a step back and say, Lord, is it I? Is it me that's making this this relationship problematic? Is it me that's causing the problem? Mm-hmm. And you'll be surprised at what the answers answers that will come to you in that. You might be unpleasantly surprised. Oh, yeah, it is you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, so as far as that goes, do why do you need to ask God if it's you? Can you not do some self-reflecting and realize, oh, crap, that's definitely me. I've made some wrong decisions. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, yeah. and I'm like, well, that self-reflection, I think, is huge. Absolutely huge. Let me explain it this way. The other yeah. day, I was walking, and I found a stick. The stick uh-huh. didn't have any bark on it. Uh-huh. So the stick that I have has a really nice side of it, but on the other side, it's got these little knots, these mm. little things. And this is just like my Santa Claus stick. It's naughty on this side, nice on this <laughs> side. Now, you look like Santa Claus there, Michael. And I, oh, I thought thanks. I might appreciate that. But <laughs> when when I realized, when I went into that my sister-in-law's house, and she, she pointed that I, we were raised and angry, I put that on the naughty side of the stick. I hmm. then realized that, oh, yeah, that's where we're at. I, we, it's a culture. It's it's a, all the vocabulary. 
all the humor, all mm -hmm. everything that we do was naughty, putting people down. It was just bad, bad karma. But that's mm -hmm. where I was raised. It was like resistance training that I had first. I had to push away, just try to push away from that. But, but when I realized that, I realized where I was on that spectrum, the stick being the spectrum, that because I'm on the naughty side of the stick, I had three choices. I can stay the same, which looks like I can blame that other person, my father, or blame other people for my problems, mm -hmm. and I don't have to do a thing. I don't move one way or another on that spectrum because I'm fine. It's them, and it's because their problem. They're yeah. the ones that need to worry about it. In reality, it's me. Yeah. So the other th choice I have is I can become more angry or go the other way and become more loving. Mm -hmm. So the choice I, when, when I came to that, um, understanding that self-analysis and that introspection that I had, I realized that I wanted to be more on the loving side. Angry, anger has its love or its language all by itself. I wanted to mm. learn love languages. And mm. so the love languages really set well with me in wanting to wanting that better life, wanting that kind humor, wanting that vocabulary that is softer and much more uh, much more acceptable to beneficial so, too. Absolutely. Beneficial to everybody. Yeah. So yeah. what about what about the the anger of God or Jesus? What about what about their anger? How do you feel about that? I think that the, there's a lot a lot lost in the translation in in the Bible, but obviously there were times that they got angry. But it's yeah. really after a lot of lot of long suffering. I mean, Jesus, it took. Do you realize how long it would take to braid a whip, and just to braid that whip, and you're still you're angry the whole time you're braiding that whip. And then you go clear the temple of the money changers. And that that's, see, that patience, mm -hmm. the patience just that Jesus had to do that, I think is something also that we need to look mm -hmm. at instead of just the angry moment. These people were defiling the temple. Huh. And when we're, whenever we are defiled ourselves, we really need to have that, that righteous indignation, stand up for ourselves, and not, not just let them do whatever they're going to do. There is a, a point that we really need to stand up. And I think that's the, the righteous indignation that we're talking about of God getting angry at the Israelites because of, wow. I mean, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 yeah. years, and they still didn't learn. 40 wow. years, <laughs> 40 years to learn the principles of the gospel, and they still didn't get it. They were actually enslaved for 400 years before God did something. Right. So, I'm well, I mean, I mean, that's a lot of... So, I mean, as far as the, the lashing out with the temple, you find that justified. His anger there, when he lashed out, when he took his anger and did something upon it, that was justified because they were doing things he didn't, that weren't good in the temple. They were defiling the temple. And so... so Defiling if, the temple. And that's the church, essentially. So, well, or the body of Christ. Body so, of Christ. So, well, nowadays... He took it when, personally. He he took it personally. He was very upset about that, which is weird because he's supposed to be the the Prince of Peace. So he comes to bring a sword and a whip, apparently. Well, <laughs> so as far as the temple and the church goes, God saw it and he was he was angry and, and, and upset about it, and he did something. Why only in that case? Why not when I'm just children are being assaulted or shot in his house in his church? 
What, why that one time? Why do you think that was over the top for him, but but children being assaulted is not? I think that that assault is maybe a, a it's a just an event, and it's it's unfortunate that that really happens, Michael. And I'm sorry, uh. sorry, sorry for those things. And God sees it all. And just to mm. bring into a little bit of perspective, you know, in in 1984, I actually witnessed a murder, and it mm. wasn't just the bang bang, you're dead type of murder. It was a car that actually hit a person. Mm. He, flew, he flew up on the hood, and then they braked, and he landed on his feet, started running more. They hit him again. Oh! He flew up on the hood, braked again, mm. landed on his foot feet, mm. ran toward a light pole in the parking lot. They hit him again before he got there, and this time he didn't hit his feet, and they drug yeah. him 100 yards. Oh! A heinous, heinous crime. Yeah, Paul. I saw, and it troubled me for many, many weeks. That's going to bother me now. Thanks. Weeks. <laughs> but but the, the comforting part of that, Michael, was hmm. that I called my older brother, the brother that, that I moved in when I was 17. I called him, and the brother that gave approval, or or, or when I went to approval for this, this woman, hmm. I called that brother, and I've just felt a closeness with him. And he said that God saw that also and also was grieved because he could see, he, my brother could see and understand that how terribly grieve, grieving I was of what a horrible, heinous crime that I had witnessed. But, oh. but, but he said it that way, that God is grieved. And I don't disagree that God is grieved every time something like that happens. And it's not, God that, it's not God that causes it. God doesn't really step in in that situation. There you and go. God so, doesn't really step in. He doesn't. I think that's the problem right there. God doesn't really step in. But when the money changers were there, he stepped in. Well, but when all these horrible things are still happening, he doesn't step in. Jesus, Why do you think that is? Jesus was mortal, Michael. And you need to understand that he was mortal so that we we could all he could understand what problems, what suffering we might go through. He couldn't understand that without being mortal? Well, I thought I he was God. No, he was the son of God. Yeah. He, he had not gone to an earth and, and had a body. So he was a spirit in, hmm. in before he came here. So, so why did Jesus have to experience being a human? If God created Jesus and, and God pretty much knows everything, why would he need to create a being to experience humanity? He should already know. Well, to raise us from the fall of Adam. Obviously, we, raise us we, from the... we needed a Savior to raise us from the, the fall, from the, the initial original sin, okay. the, the transgression that Adam had in the Garden of Eden. What we, did we need saving from, though, exactly? I mean, I, I understand that they, they did the sin thing, the bad thing that God didn't like. So it, what did they exactly need saving from? Well, before the sin in the Garden of Eden, we understand that Adam walked and talked with God. So uh -huh. being cast out of God's presence was what he needed to be saved from. When He, he needed to be saved from being cast out, pushed aside by God. Right. So, that so we, God pushed him aside and then so, needed to understand humanity afterwards in order to save humanity from him pushing everybody aside. Well, that sin, that choice by themselves on all the choices that we make in our life, Michael, uh -huh. well, it can draw us closer to God 
or distance us from God. So that choice that Adam made distanced him from God, and for us to that get back in, to get back into the presence of God, we needed a Savior. And that's where Jesus comes in. And who decided that it was going to work that way? Well, Jesus did, and God did. God and did. in the Revelations, you can re read about a council that was held in heaven before man was even populated on Earth. And mm. it was, I call it the council in heaven. And yeah. so there is that council that was in heaven. Satan or Lucifer was there as well. Mm. And he had a plan, and so did Jesus Christ had a plan. Satan was going to come here and save everybody. Regardless of what happened, he was going to make sure everybody did the right thing, force, huh. people, force people to do things the right thing. Jesus said, we'll give them their agency, let them choose whether they want to come back in the presence of God or not. And that's huh. the that God chose. So there were so two when, So when, thank you for that. So when God pushed us aside because Adam did something bad one we time. Pushed, we pushed ourselves aside. We pushed ourselves aside after Adam sinned. That's a new one. How's no, that work? Because of that, we're still pushed aside. So, we're, so I didn't we're physically still... push myself aside because Adam sinned, and the way things God the, the way things God want things to work, we vicariously pushed ourselves aside from. Help me, help me understand, Paul. <laughs> All right. So Adam, Adam was pushed aside. He was out of the presence of God. Had he did a bad thing. Out of yeah. the uh -huh. out of the presence of God continued to have children and and all those children were still out of the presence of God not not from anything that we did but we're just just because we're we're the seed of Adam and Eve so we kicked That's us out of the house how... <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to trying to follow you here so is it like is it a torment is it a painful thing is it like we're broke we don't have the support of a father figure what does the pushing aside do for us what does it how's that work what does it do so I think there is a sweetness, Michael, that we are missing, but we don't know that we're missing it. It's okay. like it's like a child until they taste chocolate, they don't know what chocolate tastes like. You know, you feed a feed a toddler huh. a piece of chocolate for the very first time, they're gonna like that taste and they're gonna come back for more. I don't, I think that there's that because of the fall of Adam and because we are born within that fall of Adam and the distancing that we have from god because of that fall we want to be back in his presence and occasionally there will be men on huh. earth or or women on earth that have that sweetness and taste that sweetness of what it could be like to be back in the presence of god those are our teachers those are people we should really be listening to so that we could return to the presence of god so my great 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 affinity grandfather got his Adam. chocolate taken away by God. And because my relative got his chocolate taken away, God is not going to allow me to have any chocolate until, until what? Until I accept Jesus or talk to Jesus or when can I get my chocolate, Paul? <laughs> well, Michael, M Michael, it's not God's fault. God it's... didn't take the chocolate away from them? No, Adam took no. it away himself. He had the choice. He was told not to partake of that particular tree. Okay. And he did. He took of it. And it's just like he, he disobeyed that commandment. And he took, he, we just like. So he punished himself. Basically, we all punish ourselves by well, our choice. Interesting. <laughs> punish ourselves by our choices. 
God doesn't do any of the punishing. We just do it ourselves. We're self-punishing. It is. By disobedience to to his laws, absolutely. Interesting. Interesting. Or or we move away from God or we move toward God. And it's all by our choices. And that's the best. That's the gift. Uh, talk about talk about gifts. Uh-huh. That's the gift of God that He's uh-huh. given us is the choice to move away from Him or draw nearer to Him. It's our choice. What's it, what's it like to not have any chocolate? Is I, it uncomfortable? Is it is it like because you had mentioned that people were longing or looking for this or seeking? I can't remember exactly the word you said. Uh, but as far as, as as far as I go, I'm perfectly fine not eating any chocolate um god does not live in my heart he does not talk to me i do not converse with him um and i'm fine like i don't feel any uncomfortableness i don't feel any longing for a relationship with an invisible person i don't so how how does that work if 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 i don't have the chocolate that god took away from my family members eons ago and i'm okay why would god make it that way well, Michael, I think you're okay, but and if you really tasted the chocolate, I don't, I don't think you'd be okay. You uh, think there's? I did there's, though. There's I did taste God. that chocolate, and there's, it was bland. There, <laughs> there's got to be something better, and just the, think of the there world. Is, yes. Think of the world that we live in. Hmm. There's got. There really has to be something better. And, and I it, don't think it's the guy who allowed this to happen, though. The guy that's allowing everybody to be without chocolate, the guy who holds on to anger and, and pushes people away because they disobeyed him once. I just don't see that as it. No, I don't I don't believe that's that's true. He, it's not just because huh. he disobeyed him once. I think that Adam was taught the gospel, but still that first step kicked him out of the presence of God. So he was now taught the gospel. That's a whole statement in itself, Paul. Holy cow. Okay. What well, explain that? Adam was taught the gospel. I love this. Go ahead. How did how did that work? How does that work? What is that? What the full gospel, like the full Old Testament, like all the added stuff that got taken out? Like what exactly did he get taught? So he got taught the whole the full gospel, and it was taught by God. As I mentioned before, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God yeah. before they partook of the. They the saw God. They saw him face to face. Absolutely. They walked and talked with God. It's it's in the Bible says it. Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. well, I mean, the Bible says a lot of things too. But the Bible also says that Jesus says that nobody has seen Yahweh. Nobody has seen God. He says it in John 1 18. Nobody has yeah. seen it. First Timothy 6 15. He also says, uh, no one's ever seen him and lived. Um so I mean Moses saw him, he was fine. He did great. Yeah. Adam about, and Eve saw him. They were what fine. About, what about Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration? So, so was Jesus what? wrong? Was he mis- mistaken when he said that no one has ever seen Yahweh at any time except Jesus? Or is it the translation that's wrong? So there's a contradiction in the Bible. So there are there are mistakes. Yes. There are absolutely mistakes. Consider who wrote the Bible. It was those scribes of the day. And they're they're in, not infallible. They're they're mistakes that are made in the Bible, yeah. and you know. So I believe that the Bible's, you know, the correct word of God as far as it's translated correctly. But there, I imagine there's some problems there. How can it be the correct word of God but still have problems? 
as far as it's translated correctly. There's a caveat there. So there, there is a qualifier there that it's correct until it's not. Just okay. like look like we're a good person until we're not. And the just, virgin, the virgin part, the Virgin Mary. Yeah. That part is a mistranslation. Do you think so or not? I don't. It is. It's it's a we'll look it up later. As soon as we're done here, definitely look that one up. It's a mistranslation. It could be young girl, and we just kind of switch it over to virgin because well, it fits certain pieces. It well, sounds... I, I agree. She was she was about 14 years old, is what the Bible scholars say. God impregnated a 14-year-old. 14 to 14 to 15 year old. Well, God was, impregnated an underage girl. Well, underage according to our standards today. God doesn't of, of that day it was not it was not an underage girl. It was actually a girl that of uh, 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 that was of age and someone that could get married that was available to be married. Yeah, I don't so, think that makes it any better though, Paul. <laughs> that doesn't make it any better. So God, God impregnated an underage girl because it was fine back then. No, I, I don't think you can overlay today's rules and society rules. I can. Back. I'm going to. I mean, I'm gonna. I'm gonna like the whole don't kill. Let's 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 not impregnate underage girls. I mean, these are pretty simple things. So, you know, so, you, know you kind of bring up a slavery question too. Slavery, not- yes. Yeah. Not good today, but it was okay back in in the you know eighteen hundreds, and it was I mean in the United States, and yeah. we fought a war about it. Does that yeah. make the whole all the people that were in the south southern part of the United States make them criminals? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I, I think that there's. I think it does. Home, whole uh, owning another person, yes. No, that's disgusting and horrible. Uh, right. But so God doesn't seem to have too much of a problem with that. So now that we're on the topic of that ownership of slaves as well. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, God God says uh, it's okay to own your slaves. God says it's okay to beat your slaves as long as they don't die within three days. God says get your slaves from your neighbors, but then he sends Jesus to say love your neighbors. I don't think enslaving your neighbors or slaughtering them, as God has them do later earlier on as well, is loving your neighbor. So I, th- I see very contradicting ideas there as well. Uh, the, the love your neighbor, get your slaves from your neighbor. Um, so I kind of understand, Michael, that you're having a hard time with what to believe of the Bible. Mm-hmm versus those those errors in the bible and just it's it's hard to sort out so what it's hard to swallow it's hard to swallow as a good book what did the scriptures say about that though about what says about about sorting it out says you need to have that burning within within to understanding and and that is the that's when you feel truth you'll know that it's true when you feel the false truth yeah, when you understand of truth, you'll know it's truth. It, you'll when you yes, when you understand truth is truth, not a feeling, right? I mean, we, we can't really right. trust our feelings as truth. Like I can read Mary Poppins and oh look, it, I feel like it's a true story. Does not make it a true story. Yeah, well, yeah, the umbrella was true. I mean, that umbrella was. Not- <laughs> there are umbrellas. You are correct. Good job. <laughs> yes, we can take little things from the Bible and put the, yeah, there are real like tables. Jesus turned over tables. Hey, it's a real story. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good one though. Um, so uh, I kind of want to go back to the anger a little bit here. Um, anger over love. Do you find that God chooses love over anger or anger over love? I think that God's actually the epitome of love, Michael. I really do. The epitome of love. Yeah, yeah. He, Explain he, that. 
he's the author of love. He, it's it's actually the love that we would feel the chocolate that I'm well, using, and probably not a good example because you don't like chocolate, but <laughs> but, the, but whatever you like, Michael. Mm. If you had to just a little bit more, mm. that's what God is like to me. That he he is uh, he wants us to feel his love. He mm. wants us to feel those good feelings inside. He actually wants us to light up when when and he knows how to light us up. He knows possibly our love language because he knows us, knew mm. us before we were ever born. And I believe my belief is that we lived in his presence before we came to this earth. All of us did. So so he knows us, and he huh. as as we try to get to know him, then we can feel his. Uh, 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 meta metaphorically, we can feel his loving arms around us, and we can just feel that love. It kind of goes from, for me, it goes from the top of my head to my toes, and mm. it's just just a feeling that will it's just a feeling. Yeah, well, it's a feeling that will wash over you, yeah. that that you feel that love of of a heavenly being. And Interesting. Yeah, I believe in that way. So, in order to get that feeling, in order for God to reveal himself in that manner what does it take i think it takes humility on our part uh -huh. i think i think we need to get rid of the pride and i i had an interview last mm. week with a, a man from india and i think he said it really the best huh. i i it was just an interview so i was i could ask questions back and forth of him as well as he was asking questions of me and i asked him he's 39 years old i asked him what is it is it Mother Teresa? Is it Gandhi that makes the Indian people so nice, so kind toward one another and mm. to others? Because I really respect the Indian people, people from India, and I really respect all that they represent in that way. Mm. And he, he said something very interesting. He said, why do you think it'd be Mother Teresa? Why do you think it'd be Gandhi? That was a long time ago. That would be Michael and I, I thought in my own mind that would be like me asking you, Michael, how do you feel about JFK and all his teachings? I mean, it's just old, old news. Hmm. And then he said, said in our synagogues or in our places of worship, hmm. they're absolutely taught all over India to look for the good in other people and refine the bad in ourselves. Hmm. Just think of, think of that that direction for a minute and then think of america we look for the bad in other people and then we feel a lot better about ourselves we put other people down so that we can elevate ourselves and it's just mm. kind of a, a twist on 180 degree twist on the way we see people mm. and i think that relationship that direction is very important because i think god sees us in that way he sees the good in us it is huh. not He's not not there just bawling us out because we made a mistake. There are ways that he's prepared that we can be redeemed like Jesus, be redeemed from that mistake and feel better about ourselves and move on with life. That's, and I think that he sees the good. I think for us to become like him, we also need to see the good in one another. Yeah, I like seeing the good in, in people. That's a good one. I yeah. like that. Um as far as the good in God, where do you see the good in God? I see it every day. 
I walk out of my house. I, you know, I've lived to... specifically from God. I mean, we can go to the trees and the beautiful world and all that. We, we, yeah. I, mean, I appreciate the world as well, but where do you see specifically God being good? I see him being good because I think that I, I believe Michael, that we all are children of God. Uh-huh. That God's children. So that we're God's children. So uh-huh. you can see it in other people. When you see people doing good things, just sacrificing their own time and talents and energy to do something good, you're seeing the God in other. You're seeing God in them. The huh. act. So the good parts of people is God. What about the bad parts of people? Well, I think that that's um, somebody else. <laughs> who else? Who else is it? So if it's not God, who else is it? Well, I th- well, I th- the scriptures say that. That the author of contention is the devil. Satan. If somebody's fighting, if somebody's having just being critical and being trying to stir up contention, I would say those thoughts are from from the devil. The devil, and God allows the devil to send those thoughts to his children. The devil has agency as well, just like we do. So God allowed the devil to have agency. Absolutely, that's the God that we. Why? It's a loving God. That's a. Well, just <laughs> explain that one. Explain that one. Michael, think of exercise. If there absolutely is no resistance training. No, not- no, no. We're, we're, sorry, Paul. I'm going to stop you right there. This is a little bit different. This is a little bit different. I don't think it's, so. It, yes, there is a bad guy in the house. God has let the bad guy into the house. It's not re- just let him into the house, but God knows exactly what that bad guy is going to do. Once he's in the house and God's just going to watch it happen. He's going to feel bad while all the bad stuff happens, knowing that it's going to happen. And then to, to make it worse, God created Satan. God created the ultimate bad guy. The ultimate example of love apparently has created the ultimate example of hate and, and evil and, and all that stuff. Would you create a bad guy and release it upon your children? Let me ask you this as an answer to that question, yeah. Michael. You have children? Yes. Are they perfect? No. Okay. So they're bad. There's a bad guy in the house. Okay. My children are not the devil. They may be horrible sometimes, but they are not the devil. That's a totally different thing. This guy has been created for the specific purpose to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, That's... No, I, I don't agree with that assessment of Satan at all. He Go ahead. Was- he absolutely was a son of God. He absolutely was on a parallel. He was, yeah. To a point that God made a choice of Satan's plan or Lucifer's plan is what it says in, in the Revelation or the, the plan of Jesus Christ. And they're both huh. on the same, same level as, as counselors, so to speak, to God. He was asking them their opinion. What, how can we, what will we do to save these people when they make mistakes? And it was a plan. It was a plan from heaven. Huh. How are we going to save these people when they make a mistake? Satan says, well, I'll just go there and they won't make any mistakes. And they'll all, I'll return them all to you, but give me the glory. Satan wanted the glory. That was a right. prob- problematic. Christ says, I, I will go there and allow them their agency to choose to follow God or not. And, and Satan got mad because God picked Christ's plan. He got mad and became the devil. Did God know he was going to become the devil? 
That's a good question. How how would I know? It's not. Well, God knows everything, does He not? No, but how would I know that? The answer because that God way. knows everything. That's why we would know that. that logically, that fits into that box. If God knows everything, then inside that box is Him creating Satan, knowing He's going to be a bad guy, right? Well, that may be a fallacy to say that God knows everything. He, I don't know that He He. I can see that He would know the end from a beginning, but all the steps along the way, maybe not. He might. Interesting. If you take that path. I don't know what trees you're going to see. I don't know what rocks you're going to turn over, but I know what's at the end of that path. And I know that that, that starting where the start of that path is. So if we start going down that path, the, we, he knows what the end of that path, how that's going to turn out at the end, not necessarily every little decision that's made along the way. There's, there's places in the Bible where it says that God knows everything. God knows all. Okay. Do you believe that's true? Those places that say that, I'm unable to find at this so, point in time. But so he's omniscient, no, all knowing is what you're saying. And I yes. absolutely, absolutely agree that that's an attribute of God. First so, John three twenty. Sorry, there was First John three twenty. Yahweh knows everything. Yeah. So, so, so he's charitable too, and he's forgiving, and he's merciful, and he's well. He's only merciful if blood is shed. I don't understand that. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God is unwilling to forgive people unless something dies in his name to him. That's why Jesus came to earth, because he needed that special blood to forgive people. So, okay. Well, and, and we're talking about the law of sacrifice or the Mosaic law when you're talking about that. And Jesus, yeah. with his sacrifice, stopped the, the Mosaic law. He's, could God not stop it without killing something? Well, the only begotten son, right. So so right. before that though, like before Jesus came, was God not willing or capable of stopping it without killing something else? Could he I, just snap his fingers and forgive people? So Michael, you, yeah. you're, what you're talking about is God interfering with your life. It would no, be no, 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 not at all. I'm I'm talking about God interfering. I'm talking about God re requiring bloodshed for forgiveness. Nothing to do with me particularly. Um, yes, down the line, of course, I need him to forgive me, apparently, to go to heaven and, and not go to hell, a wonderful place he has set up for the bad people. Um, but as far as the bloodshed for forgiveness. The bloodshed for forgiveness, um, I think that they're talking about the Mosaic Law. because Right, was... where he required bloodshed for forgiveness. Absolutely. Right. So God but... required bloodshed for forgiveness. We're on that same page, right? So before Christ came. Be he still that's still bloodshed. He still needed blood. That Christ, Jesus person, he still needed that blood in order so, to forgive people. So he still, like, regardless, <laughs> would you, Paul, require the death of an innocent to forgive the guilty? So they're talking about lambs there. And regardless, it's an innocent animal that does not need to die because somebody did something wrong. So if you're hungry, maybe, but so this this was actually a representation of and was a teaching moment for those children of Israel and for the others that came before them. Teaching. So a teaching, absolutely a teaching moment. So they would understand that there would be someone that would redeem them, that there would be a lamb, someone without blemish, the firstborn of the of God, the, the firstborn of the flock was always that mm. lamb. So it was just that was a representation of what was to come. It's reprehensible is what it is. It's reprehensible to require bloodshed for forgiveness. Would you, Paul, require the bloodshed of the innocent in order to forgive the guilty? 
Does that sound like logical idea? Well, logic or not, that's that was the culture that but was created. Does it though? From, from the day of Adam. So now was that God was, set up according to the Bible? God set this up with uh, with um, uh, Cain, Cain and Abel. Right. So they set right. it way back. So God set this up. So we can't apply standards of today, Michael. Again, I can. I can though. With slavery, it's bad. Killing and slaughtering of the innocent is bad. Stoning children to death is bad. Back then, it may not have been as bad. It may. It's not still have... bad, regardless. It's still human life, Paul. It's bad back then. If it's bad now, it's still bad to kill people back then. Well, Do, does, are you following me here? We... <laughs> not talking about people. We're talking about. I, we're talking. We're about, talking about innocent lives. We're talking about lambs. Animals are innocent lives, regardless. So, so, uh, a lamb is an innocent life. It's bloodshed for no reason. God so, can forgive without something having to die. There absolutely was a reason. It was for the redemption of, of that time. And it There's was, a terrible reason. So tell, tell me what the sacrament means to you, Michael, because this is very sim, symbol. symbol uh, it's symbolic. a pointless symbol. It's a pointless symbol to me. It's disgusting and pointless. God okay. needs bloodshed to forgive people. I'm a broken, miserable human being who can forgive people without having something die. God's okay. an all-powerful, all-love being, so, but he needs blood in order to forgive people. Uh, not anymore. So He still did. He still needs the blood of Jesus. That's the whole thing. He still needs the blood of Jesus in order to forgive people, right? And we also need that to cleanse ourselves from our sins. Why? That That's a good question. Why did God choose blood? Why can't he just accept an apology? Well, that's a good question. And I think that that's what Jesus ushered in, is that apology, that broken heart <laughs> and the con contrite spirit instead yeah. of the shedding of blood. And he actually established it like that, that there would not be any more shedding of blood at, after he came. So he Did, put he put a stop. Jesus is our hero, putting a stop to that. Michael, Jesus saved us from God's wrath. Well, the shedding of blood that you're talking about. Jesus saved us from what God was going to do if Jesus didn't die. For the, like I just like, are, are you on the same page again? If we're on the same page, are you on the same page with me? I'm gonna call this episode. Are you on the same page? Because I seem to be on a different page than you. God needs Jesus to die. Would you require the bloodshed of the innocent to forgive the guilty, Paul? Would you personally do that? I'm. I think that that this foreshadowing that of what would happen, the circumstances of the yes time, or no, Paul. Yes or no? I'm would you? I'm telling you the answer right now. I'm telling you that the the circumstances and the foreshadowing that God did was He was teaching His children because He loved them. This is an act of love. The sacrifice of your only begotten son would be an act of love. He Pointless, though, Paul. He doesn't need to kill his own kid. That's that's my point. Well, and, and Michael, I, I take a little offense that you're telling that God killed his own kid. Because it wasn't God at all. It was the God Jewish. required the death of his kid. Who required the death of Jesus? Well, no, it was foretold that... that foretold because God put this whole plan into motion. God created everything for a purpose. God set this entire, it's a dominoes. He pushed the dominoes, and in those dominoes is Jesus. He needed this to happen. This is all his perfect plan, correct? 
Well, you're talking more about fate rather than the choices of people. And and there there's a fine line there that mm. people talk about. Who controls about. the fate? Who does? Yeah, that's a good question. Very good God question. doesn't control fate? I don't think so. God does not have a domino set up and he's got a plan and everything's going. No, there is a plan. So God's not in control. There is a plan. There absolutely, so there's a plan. There absolutely is a plan. The plan is for us to find a way back to his presence. Because he and kicked I, us out. He took our chocolate away. So we got to find a way to get back to the chocolate that he took away from us. And it's our fault, not his fault, this that week, he took away chocolate. It is. It is our fault. And, and we still distance ourselves. We still Man. make choices that distance ourselves. We actually are the murderers ourselves. We're, 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 we're cutting ourselves off from the presence of God by not choosing to follow follow his plan. And again, I'm okay with cutting myself off from God. I, I don't feel any okay. pain, suffering, or or empty spots in my and some zones. People are like, <laughs> I, would, I would hope, Michael, at some point in your life that you actually would be a wise man as your mm, name is, mm. that you build your house upon the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. I did once, Paul, but yep. Jesus was never in the house. Jesus never showed up at the house. He never even knocked at the door, rang the doorbell, or sent me an email. Jesus is is kind of, well, he's invisible and mute. I don't think that's true about being mute. He may be invisible, but only invisible because we can't see. That's now, how the invisible works, Paul. <laughs> no, so how is he not mute? Not, not, not necessarily. Just our eyes are not open. And, and let, me, let me explain it this way. When I learned the love languages, it was something that was eye-opening to me. Opening, Michael. I open. Yeah. Now see something that was always there. It's like learning a brand new word. You learn a new vocabulary word, and you walk down the street. You're going to hear that word maybe ten times in the day that you learned it. True story. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely true story. Then your eyes are opened. So there might be a cloud or a veil over your eyes that you could not see or did not recognize that Jesus was in the house or did not recognize that he was in your life and that he had a part in your life. And I think that everybody comes to that realization, as the scriptures say, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ. Well, that's not really free will as far as I'm concerned. And no, I will not bow unless he forces me. Um, Yahweh revealed himself to those who did not ask, Isaiah 65.1. So Yahweh does, in the Bible, several places get tested and like Gideon with the fleece, and he proves himself real. Um, he shows up to Saul, Paul, uh, in the road to Damascus without being asked. Um, but yet me, I grew up in the church. I was a Christian for most of my life. Jesus never was enough for me. He was always just never there. People were there for me. People helped me through things. People who claimed that Jesus was giving them messages to help me through things, which I always thought was kind of weird um you're obviously the one that cares and you're obviously the one trying to help we don't need jesus at all in this situation um so yeah no i i was there i've been there i've prayed the prayers i've i've done everything there is to do and now i'm at the spot where i'm blaspheming the holy spirit just to see how far i can go none of this is is reality for me and the feelings aren't enough if i get a tingle from listening to a praise and worship song or some nice words from the pastor, I can get the same tingle from a great movie 
or a concert. Sometimes even more at the concert of the great movie because it's more real to me. Um, so as far as that goes, why do you think Jesus has, well, at this point, refused to show up for me? Or abandoned us? I think that it comes on. I don't feel abandoned. I feel great. Just so, just so that clear. I don't feel like there's a, a father out there who's who went to go get cigarettes and never came back. No, Jesus was never there to begin with. He was never that that uh, that awesome father figure for me. I had, again, people, actual physical people who loved and cared for me show up. Never a God or a demigod in sandals. Let's just go back to the Last Supper. Lord, is it I? And, and if you ask that question, sincerely ask that question, just ask it. And, and yeah. figure out, is it me that's making the distance between me and Jesus or me and God? Is it me that's making, what can I do to draw? To I shouldn't have to. He should be able to come to me. And he knows what's going to convince me, yet he has not done it. So that's where I'm at with that. Is it's it, The ball's in his court now. I've Gideon, I've thrown the fleece out. Make it wet. Make the ground dry. Let's do it. Come on, God, if you're there, prove it. Show so, me. So let me ask you this. I, I've, yes. had, I've had a little issue with that in my own family. Hmm. And just just about, uh, about the fifth commandment. So hmm. the fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land. <laughs> I love that. They're going to beat the crap out of you if you don't. That's why your days are going to be short. <laughs> it, be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they had rods and stones back then. God said stone disobedient children. He said it twice. And then Jesus even brought it up. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Be watch out. Watch out. Read that into it. But, but how, how, do, <laughs> how do you honor your parents? Or how do you honor God hmm. as, as if he is our father? And I believe he is. How do we honor him? as a parent and how what do we do what is it that we do that brings that honor and in his own time he'll he'll say that your your offering is acceptable and <laughs> and in his own time it's not when you decide michael it's not when i decide either it's in his own time he'll make make that offering acceptable as it says throughout the scriptures what we're trying to do is make an offering that's acceptable before God. And that's, I think that's when he comes. So, well, I've yet to see it. And I, I know just wait. Patient, yeah. Patiently wait. And we just all wait. patient. We're all patiently waiting. And it's a, it's a definitely a test of our patience. Definitely a test of our patience. I'm still waiting for Kali Ma to show up as well, but you know, who does show up more is Spider-Man. Spider-Man seems to show up a little bit more than, uh, any of those other invisible gods. Well, he shows up on my TV. Yes. He shows up in my books. Yeah. My socks. <laughs> That's beside the point. Thank you so much, Paul. This has been fun. We're going to kind of close it out here. We've gone a little bit over. I appreciate you staying on. Uh, I'll let you have the last word and, and plug your stuff too. Where can we find you? Find me at rolloflove.com, R-O-L-E of love.com. You can find the book, the journal, and the and the cube. Altogether, I've got it in a bundle right now for $29.99. It's on a special in that bundle, and it's great Christmas gift. This is the wedding season, great wedding gift for those that are starting off their marriage. They want to they want to yeah. learn a little bit more to better communicate and communicate in love. And the last word that I want to say is is also a language word. We there's different languages all over the, the world. But this is from the Sanskrit dialect in northern mm -hmm. India. 
from that dialect, we get the words like nirvana, great words like nirvana, great words like karma. But mm. I want to talk about namaste. Mm. Namaste is said at the end of a yoga class. They put their hands together like this, thumb to the chest and bow their head, close their eyes and say namaste. Doesn't mean, hey, y'all, class is over. Doesn't mean that. What, what it does mean, in, and the Hindu interpretation of that, is that the God in me sees the God in you. Or the divine in me hmm. sees the divine in you. That's what this whole thing is about. Watching for those opportunities to express, I see this in you, some qualities that that person might not even see in themselves, that divine hmm. quality. And when we see that and express that, we're making somebody's day. When we make someone's day, it, they're going to also help others have a good day in their circle of influence. Hmm. We send out anger, mm. they get angry, they're also going to spread that misery to their circle of influence. Let's make it a better day and look for the good in one another. That's all I got, Michael. Thanks. I love time. it, man. Human, humans helping humans. Absolutely. That's all we got. We can't we gotta help each other. We make it a competition instead of sticking together. It doesn't help anybody. Absolutely. Those love dice, great idea, man. I love things that help people uh, get through things and, and be stronger together. Good idea. Great Thank stuff. You. Appreciate your time, man. We'll keep Thanks in touch. Been a delight. That's all the show there is for you today. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find me at the Bible Says What YouTube and Facebook pages. You can also find clips of the show on TikTok under BSW the Podcast. If you like what you heard and want to help keep the recording light on, simply go to patreon.com forward slash bswthepodcast and sign up to be a supporter of the show. Your episodic tithes of a dollar or more will get you early access to each episode by at least three days, stickers, shirts, and shoutouts. That's patreon.com forward slash bswthepodcast. For the latest events, BSW swag, including signed copies of The Bible Says What the Book, head on over to the show's ever-evolving webpage at thebiblesayswhat.com. And no matter which platform you use to listen to your podcasts, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss out on the next episode. Until then, would you kindly pick up your Bibles and read them? Next week on the Bible says what? I don't know. I don't know enough about brains, honestly. I just know that it's very unlikely that the God of the Bible, the one who let the Nazis come in, right. the one who's letting his favorite people right now be slaughtered, that's the guy that gave you your memory back. Yeah, that's the guy. And here's here's one of the the, the um, things that I learned. Okay, I used to think. Before, when I didn't believe in God, that the world is a sewer, 